New Testament reading is from Matthew 13, the parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The parable of the pearl of great value. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The word of the Lord. All right, guys, I'm proud of you on uh, singing that last song. It was a new one, a little bit different. But y'all did great. Um, before we get started, I did want to just say one thing, um, and that is that even, I know that even in a, in a church like Grace and Peace, where we uh, over and over again try to remind each other that uh, we don't have to be perfect and we don't have to have it all together, I think on Sunday mornings it can still feel like there is pressure on us to get dressed up and look really good and put a smile on and make sure we're here on time and that, you know, everyone is still alive and we're being okay. And uh, I, I just want to tell you guys that I think it's important for us to verbalize sometimes, even from up front, that that, that pressure is just not true. That, that is a lie. And um, we want to push back against that. And so this morning, I just want to give you all permission to just be. Uh, you know, when, when Tim or I or Jonathan stand up here, we've put a lot of hours in during the week uh, so that we could do all the justice of bringing you the Word of God, and there's no more work for you to do. Um, and ultimately, what we're doing is remembering that Jesus Christ died on a cross and was raised from the dead a long, long time ago, um, so that now there's no more work for you to do uh, but to rest in Him. So, having said that, I did come to preach this morning, so I'm uh, going to make you all a little uncomfortable at times, but we're going to get to that. Um, our message this morning that Lacey just read to us, it, it comes right in the middle of the gospel according to Matthew. And these two parables, they come to us in a, in a series of quick, pithy statements that Jesus says about the kingdom of heaven. And there's just a few things that you need to know about these parables right off the bat, and that is that... Uh, just before this, Jesus is preaching to uh, a large crowd. He's preaching to the multitudes. And, and then for these two parables, the disciples and Jesus have gone off into a house. And Jesus is telling these parables directly to his disciples as a sort of training curriculum to know what Jesus came to do, what his earthly ministry is all about. And this kingdom of heaven theme that Jesus is talking about, this, this is not only central to the gospel of Matthew... It's also, it's the essence, it's the very core of Jesus' earthly ministry. And so if we are called to be disciples of Jesus, which we are, and we want to know anything about what Jesus came to do on this earth, then these parables are, are extremely important for us to understand. Uh, and of course, like with any scripture, it's, it's impossible in, in 30 minutes to you know, mind the depths of what's here and so I just want to pick out two things this morning for us to learn um, from what Jesus is saying. And that is the cost of the kingdom of heaven. The cost of the kingdom of heaven. 
and the joy of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so those are going to be my two points. Let me, let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you as, uh, as your people. We come before you as people who, um, who may know you, people who may not know you, um, but we're in this room um, to get to know you more. Um, and Father, I pray that you would come be with us, that you would give us eyes to see and you would open our ears so that we might hear and open our hearts and our minds so we might understand and um, we would turn and, and be healed. And uh, we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So ha- have y'all ever met someone whose life has just been upended by the gospel? You know, maybe that's some of you in here today, or maybe it's someone you know, but, but someone who, who has this, this former life who is just consumed by all the things that the world has to offer. That was, that, their, their whole life was, was about that, the next high, or the next drink, or, or their whole life was about getting the next big paycheck, or, or jumping from relationship to relationship. And then when they met Jesus, everything changed. And not in a like, in a cheesy, like, I met Jesus, so I never did anything wrong ever again sort of way. But like, they came face to face with a redeemer and it changed the course of their lives. Do you know these people? Um, for me, it's a friend that, a dear friend of mine that I've made in seminary who spent the first 28 years of his life uh, growing up in New York where he was heavily involved in, in the music production and the club scene. And just everything that goes along with that, you know, story after story uh, of, the, of this stage of life he was in. And then at this pivotal moment in his life, his life was transformed. And he, and, he, and he realized that everything he was chasing after was leaving him empty and hopeless. And when he encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ, he found this immeasurable treasure that was worth losing everything else that he had worked for. It was worth taking a huge pay cut to move to Charlotte, to go to seminary, and, and to become a substitute teacher and do late night deliveries so that he could support his family while he was doing that. It was, it was worth leaving this career that he had to, to go and do the work of planting churches and, and striving for racial justice in Charlotte, North Carolina. It, it was a costly transition for him. What should jump out at us first in these parables is the incredible cost that these two men had to incur in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven, in order to possess the kingdom of heaven. The man who stumbled upon this treasure in a field, he had to go home and take all of his stuff and sell it on Craigslist so that he could go and buy this field. Or this... This man with the, with the pearl, he had to do the same thing. I mean, could you imagine trying to explain this to your family? Like, I don't know about y'all, but I have to talk to Kelsey if I want to go play the par three course out of, like by 385. I couldn't imagine coming home and being like, Kelsey, I think we should put our house up for sale and everything inside of it so that we could buy this plot of land in Pickens. Like, what would they say to you? What would your friends say? They'd be like, what are you doing? This is crazy. You need to seriously reconsider your life's choices. But that's just it. This man, he didn't care about the repercussions of his decision because he knew that this treasure he found was more valuable than anything else this life had to offer. 
And we see the same thing with the merchant who buys the pearl. He's willing to give up everything in order to have this pearl. And, and you know, this isn't a guy who just makes loose decisions whenever he wants. This is, he is, by all accounts, a shrewd businessman. He's a, he is a distributor of fine jewelry. Like, he knows what he's doing, and, and he knew what to look for in a pearl. And this is a pearl that he'd been searching for his whole life. If you've ever looked for an engagement ring, like you know that you're supposed to look for the four C's, right? The cut and the clarity and the color and the carrot of the diamond. That's an important one. Uh, and like you, you kind of do a little bit of research and then you think you know something until you go into a jeweler store and then they pull out their little magnifying glass and they start talking about like the science behind light refraction inside the diamond and mapping out all the imperfections in the diamond. And then you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. Like, that's this guy. He's, he's the expert. He knows what to look for. And the size of this pearl and the luster of this pearl was, was unlike anything he had ever seen. So much so that it was more valuable than not just any of his possessions, but the sum of all of his possessions. And I think the logical thing for us to do here is to pause and ask the question... Have you ever encountered anything like this? Have you ever found something so life-altering, so earth-shattering, that the only next step you could possibly do was to rethink and reorder your entire life? This is what we see in these two parables. These men have discovered a new paradigm, a new way of living... And I think what we're supposed to see here is that entering the kingdom of heaven, entering the kingdom of heaven, it's actually going to cost us in this life. It costs us something to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And there is a sense in which the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about, the kingdom of heaven that other New Testament writers talk about, there's a sense in which there's a future realizing of it. The kingdom of heaven is going to come in full in the future. That one day God's kingdom is going to come here on earth. And this is what we pray for when we say, uh, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But, and this is a big but, but the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom is actually entered on this side of death. It's entered now. It's entered in this life. You know, I think for most of us, we probably only think about entrance into heaven after we die, right? That's where our mind immediately immediately goes. Rarely do we ever think about the fact that we actually enter the kingdom of heaven here on earth in our lives now. Both of these men that Jesus was telling the story about, they're, they're alive. They're going about their daily lives, and that's when they found their proverbial kingdom of heaven. It wasn't something they found after they died. Jesus doesn't say, you know, these two guys, they were just really good guys. And they did a lot of community service. And they always voted the right way. And they donated a lot of money to a lot of good causes. And sometimes they even got up early enough to do their morning devotionals and post about on Instagram. And they were were just really good. And then after they died, they found this treasure or this pearl. No. That's not what he says. He says, these, these men, these people, they were going about their lives here on earth and they came into contact with something that was otherworldly. Something that, that nothing in this, love, 
nothing else in this life compared to, and it, and it changed the way they did their earthly life. So what that means, if it's, if it's entered in, in this life, is the kingdom of heaven is entered in this life, it's going to fe- affect us in this life. It's going to affect us in this life. And in these parables, Jesus uses a phrase to emphasize how much these two men gave up. When, when Matthew records this, he puts these two words together that basically mean the same thing. And what he's doing, it's like a double emphasis. It's the difference between saying, like, she gave up everything to start her own business. Or saying, she gave up every single thing in her life to start this business. Do you see the difference? That's what Jesus is saying. What we know is that when we enter the kingdom of heaven, which means when the gospel becomes real in our lives, when we have faith in the redeeming blood of Christ and have been baptized in his name and made alive again in his resurrection, it affects every single aspect of our lives. It means that you no longer look at your resources and your possessions and your reputation and your privilege and your places of power as something to hold on to, as something to grasp with a closed fist. It means that when you enter the kingdom of heaven, you actually have a new Christian ethic. Y'all like practical applications, right? Right? One of the most dominant practical applications of the gospel according to scripture, whether you're reading the words of Jesus or the apostles of the New Testament, or you're reading the words in the Mosaic law or the prophets of the Old Testament, one of the most dominant practical applications is that all the power structures of this world are subverted. All the power structures of this world are subverted. Your life is no longer a race to climb to the top of the religious and the social and the corporate ladders, but a contest in humility and submission. A contest in humility and submission. And that means us too, men, right? Because submission is not a gender-specific term. Submission is not a woman-only term. In in the kingdom of heaven, as Christians, all of us submit to one another as we submit to Christ, who is our head. One time, uh, a mother of two of Jesus' disciples asked Jesus if her sons could have the place of honor when the kingdom came in full. The places at the right and left of Jesus. And after Jesus basically tells her no, he turns to his disciples and he says this. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve... And to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the kingdom of heaven is costly. It costs us. But you say, you know, but Tanner, that sounds like a lot of sacrifice on my part. It sounds it sounds incredibly difficult. How can I live up to these standards of the kingdom of heaven? What could possibly motivate me to give up every single thing that I own to inherit the kingdom? 
Well, first of all, I, I, just, I want to pause for a second. And I just want to say that all of us in here, we can always be doing a better job of what Jesus is saying. But I want to say that I'm, I'm incredibly encouraged and humbled and inspired by so many of you in this room who are doing the hard work of giving up your time and your resources and yourselves to become servants in the kingdom of heaven. We can see that going on in our body. The, the way that some of you have cared for the foster child and the orphans in our midst and the cost of time and energy and money and emotional stability and sanity that goes into that. And for others of you, it's, it's the way that you love on and serve the disabled community, which is such an, an important role that's underrated um, in our community. It's, it's your involvement and your support of places like PMAC and the Frazee Center, the ways that so many of you um, long for and are working toward racial and social justice in our community. And it's the ways that some of you are so gifted at bringing the message of the gospel to other people, to people who are lost so they might be saved. Those are all a part of the cost of becoming a servant and entering into the kingdom of heaven. But why do you do it? Why do we do that? Because the last thing I want for you this morning is to leave here and think that these really good things are how you get in. Because they're not. That's not how you get in. They they are a result of already having entered into the kingdom of heaven. So how do we enter it? How do we sell all of our possessions? Here's one. The first possession, if we're going to sell all our possessions, the first one of our possessions to go is our pride. What we know from scripture is that since the fall of Adam and Eve from the garden, that all of us have this problem of sin and the root of our sin is our pride. Uh, In his book, The Selfless Way of Christ, Henry Nouwen parses out what he calls the downward mobility of the Christian life. The downward mobility of the Christian life. And this is what he says. He says, the disciple is the one who follows Jesus on his downward path and thus enters with him into new life. The gospel radically subverts the presuppositions of our upwardly mobile society. It is jarring and unsettling. Yet, when we have carefully looked into the eyes of the poor and the oppressed and the lowly, and when we have gently listened to their observations and perceptions, we might already have a glimpse of truth of what Jesus is talking about. We might even sense an envy of those who have shed all false ambitions and found deeper fulfillment in their relationship with God. And it is then that we begin to perceive the downward road is not toward hell, but toward heaven. The downward road is the road to heaven. Our pride makes us blind. Our pride makes us blind to the, to the treasure that's in the field, to the value of the pearl. You know, when Jesus tells these parables, he's using two very common, ordinary Examples in the life of a first century uh, Jew. You know, it wasn't weird that there was treasure hidden in a field somewhere because that's where everyone put their stuff. The, the, the bank in that day was just simply the ground. Like if you were leaving 
on a journey or if you were being invaded by another land, the first thing you would do is you would take your valuable stuff and you would put it in the ground. And so presumably this man is walking through a field, but there have been dozens, even hundreds of other people who have walked right over this field and didn't even know that this treasure was right under their feet. And and the same with the merchant, you know, merchants back in that day, they were a dime a dozen pearls like they are today. They were really popular for people who could afford them. And the story isn't so much that like this guy had the hookup. This pearl presumably passed through dozens of other merchants and he was the only one who could see the real value of this pearl. So what was so special about these two guys? Simply this, that they had eyes to see and ears to hear. They had eyes to see the treasure, the value of the pearl. Some of you may remember... um, this story that came out, it was, it's, it's, the article is really about 10 years old. Uh, but it came out in the Washington Post. And it's a story about a guy named Joshua Bell. And if you don't know him, Joshua Bell is one of the most celebrated, like, internationally renowned violinists of all times. Um, and on a normal weekday, there's nothing special about the day. On a normal weekday, he dressed in jeans, a t-shirt, and a baseball cap. And he went to Les Enfants Plaza Station in Washington, D.C., this huge uh, train station in Washington, D.C., and he played as a busker. And the violin he played was his go-to instrument. It was, an, it, it was a violin that was made in 1713, and it was valued at $3.5 million. And one of the six pieces that he played... One of the six was a 14-minute composition by Bach, known to be one of the hardest songs to play on the violin. Hardest piece of music to play on the violin. Of the 1,097 commuters who went through this train station on their way to work, seven people even noticed he was there. Seven out of a thousand and I don't tell you this story to, to say that, like, our world is crumbling because we don't appreciate art anymore. Uh, the reason I tell you this story is because it's a picture of how easy it is to, to miss, to pass by something that's so unassuming, that seems so ordinary as, as a busker in the train station. And, they, and these people passing by, they didn't have eyes to see, they didn't have ears to hear the treasure, the, the beauty that was going on right in front of them. And I think this is what Jesus is pointing to in these parables that we're looking at today. The kingdom of heaven, it seems unassuming, it seems ordinary, it isn't experienced in the mountaintops or the triumphs of this life. The kingdom of heaven is found in the everyday living of the ones who are willing to follow Jesus into a life of submissiveness and servitude. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about requires us to divest ourselves of our possessions, starting with our pride. There's a story a few chapters later in Matthew where Jesus is talking to his disciples and and they're still not quite understanding. And they ask him the question, who is going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's going to be the greatest? 
And Jesus responds, you're still not getting it. Like, even asking that question is proof that you haven't heard what I said. And so he takes a child, takes a child, and he's like, look at this child. Look at him. You have to humble yourselves to the point of being children if you want to ever enter the kingdom of heaven. So your entrance in the kingdom of heaven, it requires you to repent of your pride. It requires you to sell your self-righteousness, to part with your false ambitions. But what is our motivation for doing it? What is our motivation? What kind of motivation could be strong enough to actually make us do that? Well, if we go back to our text, if you want to look at the text in your bulletin, Jesus answers the question, why, why did they sell everything? Jesus says, in verse 45, he says, then, or verse 44, he says, Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Then in his joy, the men in these stories, they, they go home and they sell all their belongings in order to buy the field, in order to buy the pearl, but they don't do it out of guilt or out of manipulation or out of frustration. Jesus says they do it out of their joy. And all their joy they go and sell all of their possessions. What Jesus is showing us is that the kingdom of heaven is costly even to the point of costing everything. But that the joy of his kingdom is worth every penny. And that's really good news. But I don't think that's it. I don't think that's all Jesus is saying. I think there's another layer underneath these stories. And, and I'm convinced that when Jesus is telling this story, on, on, on some level, he's, he's, he is talking about his disciples. He is talking about what it looks like to enter the kingdom of heaven for us to go and sell on all of our possessions. But I think that in another sense, it's not too much of a stretch to say that Jesus is also talking about himself. That Jesus is very much like the man in the field who finds this treasure. And Jesus is very much like the merchant who, after searching for years, found this special pearl. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that Jesus is a man who gives up everything to have this one thing that's so valuable to him. What we find in in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says this. He says... Though, talking about Jesus, he says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He didn't count equality with God as something to be held on to. He emptied himself. He sold all of his belongings. This treasure was so special to him that he gave up the seat at the right hand of the Father. He gave up the praise of angels. He gave up himself. He who knew no sin became sin. He was wrapped in death. He drank the dregs of the grave in order to have this treasure. And he didn't do it out of obligation or out of duty. And he didn't do it out of anger and frustration. And he didn't do it out of sadness and disappointment. He did it out of his joy. And what was this treasure? 
What was this thing that was so special he had to have it? What was this thing that was so valuable that it cost him nothing less than everything? I think you know where I'm going. The treasure and the pearl, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that the treasure and the pearl are a lot like us. A lot like the people he came to rescue. That the treasure that was worth everything to him is you and it's me. Jesus looks at us in all of our humanness and all of our guilt and all of our shame and all of our anxiety and he says, you are worth everything to me. All of us in this room need to hear that this morning. That you are worth everything to him. Because not only is Jesus our treasure, but we are his. That the son of God gave up everything in order to be with us and that's worth more than all the, the sum of all of our possessions. And entering the kingdom, it starts with us giving up our pride. It starts with us having eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive his grace. And that's the motivation that's absolutely worth the cost of the kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word does not come back void. Um, we thank you that it is a gift that you've given to us, that it's living, that it changes us. Pray that we would let um, your grace and your mercy through your word wash over us this week and change us um, in real ways. And Father, um, we thank you so much for your son um, and the grace that we have in him. And we thank you for this table that we're about to partake of, that we commune together, but not only together, but also with you, Father. Um, And it's in the name of your son that I pray. Amen.